Well, I'd like to uh, begin this morning by having us look at what I believe are nine of the most disruptive words in the Bible. And here they are. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Let's uh, say that out loud all together, okay? On three, one, two, three. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Now, here's the question. Who in the world wrote that and what were they smoking when they did? Right? Like, what is up that? Who wrote that and what were they thinking when they wrote those words? I don't know about you, but I've gone through some challenges in my life. In fact, uh, financial challenges at different times. And these words are very disruptive when you're going through something financially. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Now, let me show you a picture of a couple who went through a financial challenge. Here they are. That's not them, by the way. There we go. Now, look at that stud on the right, you know. Uh, And the hottie on the left, it's still hot. And uh, so that was our engagement picture, my wife, uh, Jennifer, and I. And that was circa 1994, okay, Uh, back in the day when uh, (laughs) they had pictures like this, I guess. Um, So that was it. And uh, we were 22 years old, and we needed Jesus, like, very, very badly. We needed Jesus very badly because we had no clue what we were getting into right before we got married. We were married in July of 1994, and in September of that same year, uh, my wife had applied for medical school, and she was sent here to Muncie, but I was pastoring two small churches uh, near Lafayette, and they were two country churches way out in the middle of nowhere. And so for the first year of our marriage, she lived here in Muncie, and I lived there and uh, near Lafayette. And we did not get to connect with each other very much at all, uh, only on weekends because it was about a two and a half hour drive. We had two apartments. She had an apartment here. We had an apartment there. And we were broke. I mean, we were like dead broke because we were paying for both apartments. And by the way, just a bit of financial advice. If you ever want to get ahead of financial, you know, financially in your life, do not be the pastor of two small country churches. Because you will not uh, get wealthy on that. Our, our uh, salary was microscopic. And what made matters even worse than that was that we had two vehicles that were not very reliable at all. In fact, many times when I would get up in the morning, I would have my devotions in my car. And uh, often the devotions would sound like this. Dear Jesus. God, I know you're good, but prove it now. Vroom, hallelujah, I believe, you know. I mean, that's just, that's just the kind of the way it was. There was something also that was not very much fun either, and it was the fact that I had to eat these every single day. 
On Monday, it was a chicken pot pie. Tuesday, it was a turkey pot pie. And on Wednesday, it was a beef pot pie. And then we just switched them all around. Now, this is what I've learned. I've eaten so many pot pies in my life that pretty soon the chicken, the turkey, the beef, they all taste the same. It really doesn't matter which one that you put in. Some of you look like you've been there before. Um, Now, some of you might be sitting here and going, hey, I like a good pot pie. Well, that's fine. But there is a difference between eating them because you may eat them and eating them because you must eat them. And back in the day, you could get four of these for a dollar, 25 cents each. And I had dinner Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday on that. And then we kind of like, you know, scammed off of our friends for uh, the weekends uh, to eat. You know, you've done that before, right? Like you go out to eat and someone's like, "Uh, how are we going to divide the check? And you're like, oh, they'll take it. You know what I mean? Like, they'll take it. No problem. Now, I can laugh about those days now because 20 years later, um, you know, It's a different thing. I'm in a different place in my life. But if I would have heard those nine disruptive words during that time of my life that I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances, it would have been very difficult. And I would have been like, good advice. I just don't like it. I don't like it at all. So the question becomes, again, who in the world wrote this and what in the world were they thinking when they did? Okay, here's a picture of my wife Jennifer and I now, okay? And this is the same truth about us. That couple right there, they need Jesus very, very badly. Very badly. In fact, this is what I've discovered. That even the challenge of living a contented life, the challenge of living a contented life has nothing to do with what your salary is. But it has to do with how your mind thinks. And it doesn't just go away. Contentment and the struggle to find it does not go away when you get financially stable. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Folks, whoever you are, it's going to be a lifetime challenge for you to go through life and to try to live a contented life. So again, who in the world wrote this and what were they thinking? Well, there's a guy by the name of Paul who wrote over half of the New Testament and is considered one of Jesus' closest followers, and he wrote these words. He wrote them a couple decades after Jesus' death, and Paul begins to uh, go to these major population centers all over the Roman Empire, and he would start to teach about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus and would let them know about what kind of life that would look like. One of those particular groups that he went to was a northern city in Greece, a city called Philippi. Now, if you're new to the Bible, what you'll find is when you open the Bible, sometimes it's very hard to know uh, where things are. That's why we have a table of contents right at the beginning. Uh, I still have to look through some of that for some of the Old Testament myself. But in the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, there is a book within that called Philippians. It's only four chapters, and I would strongly encourage you uh, to read it because it's filled with encouragement for you. And Paul writes this letter to this group uh, of this community of people that he has reached out to. 
Now, geographically, uh, Philippi is north of the Mediterranean Sea. So if you go all the way up there, you can see that it's north uh, of the sea. And uh, that's kind of where um, it's at, and it's still there today. You can go and you can visit it and uh, uh, see it. I had an opportunity uh, in college to go to Greece, and that was one of the cities that we toured. Now, in the first century, the Romans had conquered that particular city. It was a Roman colony. But before that, it had been colonized by the Greeks. Um, Any of you familiar with the name Alexander the Great? Have you ever heard that before? Okay. Now, Alexander the Great, his father was a guy by the name of Philip of Macedon. And... When he traveled to this place, he named this city after himself. So it's Alexander the Great's dad named it, and he named it Philippi. When Paul travels there, he starts a whole bunch of Jesus communities, and we think that was around 51 A.D. And then uh, a year goes by, two years go by, five years go by, seven years go by, Ten years finally go by, and it's about 61 A.D., but Paul is no longer traveling in this whole area of Greece, but he is in Rome. And why is he in Rome now? Because he's in jail. He is in the slammer. He is away from all those churches he had started. And he stays in this jail every day, And for 24 hours a day, he's chained with two Roman soldiers on each side of him. And they're with him all the time. And one particular day, while he's being chained, there's a guy that comes into it, into the uh, jail. And he's like, shocked. He's like, Epaphroditus. They used to call him Eze back in the day. You know what I mean? No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Don't send me anything. But his name was Epaphroditus. And he walks in, he's like, dude, what are you doing here? And he's like, man, I came. The church has come with some money to try to help and take care of you. He said, the only reason I came here was to serve you, to encourage you, to let you know that you're not alone, that we're thinking about you. And I'm here physically representing the church, saying we are here for you. And Epaphroditus brings some money along the way. And he gives it to Paul because if you were in a Roman prison during this particular time, they only gave you enough food so that you survived, just to keep you alive. Nothing more than what you needed. Not like today uh, in the U.S. where uh, often there's multiple meals. You just got enough to just barely make it. And the only way you got any extras was you used your own money Or you had friends that would come and they would give you food or other things that you needed. So Epaphroditus, he travels from Rome. If you go kind of to the left, way over there, he travels from Philippi all the way to Rome. Now some of you might be saying, well, so what? We travel all the time. It was 800 miles. Anyone want to take a guess how long it took him to go that far? Look to the person beside you, take a guess. 800 miles, how long did it take him to get there? Go ahead. 61 A.D. And the answer is two months. 
took him two months to get from there in Philippi all the way to Rome. Now, that, if the, that is if the weather cooperated. If it didn't, it could take even longer. So you can tell that this was not an easy trip. He actually went because he wanted to show this love, and it was a sacrifice that he made. And how do you say thank you for something like that? Well, in Philippians chapter 4, you have Paul's thank you note to his friends in Philippi. And embedded within this thank you note, because of the gift that he was given, this is kind of what he says. He goes, hey, I want you to know something. I'm really grateful that you brought the money to me to help me out while I'm in jail. But this is what I want you to know. I was at peace and I was filled with joy before you ever came. Before you ever brought the money, I was full of joy, and I was at peace. And now that you've brought this to me, it brings me peace and joy. But it wasn't the money that brought me this sense of joy and peace. And it's within this context then that Paul writes these nine disruptive words where he says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And please remember, folks, this isn't just anybody. This is an inmate. This is a person who is incarcerated. He is in jail. He's in prison. And he says, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. So the question we have is, how do we get that kind of freedom? Like, how do you find that kind of freedom in your own life when you're not in jail and yet you struggle with contentment? Well, the first step to experience the kind of freedom that Paul talked about is that we need to learn contentment. You've got to learn contentment. It's not something that you just get biologically. You have to actually learn contentment. Contentment means freedom from buying stuff you don't need and probably you won't even ever use. Yeah, Have you ever noticed we have all of this stuff sometimes that we have that we're packing away or we're keeping it somewhere. We don't use it. Contentment was where you finally say, enough. I've got enough. I don't need any more. Enough. Contentment is the freedom to be generous with the things that we have. Little known fact about the church in Philippi, it was a poverty-stricken church. They didn't have a lot of extras. It was not a wealthy church. And they gave generously because they learned contentment. Contentment frees you to enjoy the things that you have But you never have to think that I would just be whole, I would just be complete, if I just had one more thing, if I could just get one more item, then that would make me happy. That would make me good. Again, Philippians 4.11 says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And then Paul goes on to say these words, I know what it's like to be in need. And I know what it's like to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content. In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, or whether living in plenty or in want. Paul says, hey, I've experienced both. I know what it's like to have plenty, and I know what it's like to be in great need. He says, I know what it's like to be well-fed, and he says, I know what it's like to actually be physically hungry. I've had both experiences. Now, I was thinking about it, that if Paul were here today, how would he write this differently? He maybe say something like this. I know what it's like to fly first class. I know what it's like to have the curtain pulled across and saying, 
hey, nobody, see you later. You know what I mean? As they pull that across. And then he would say, I also know what it's like to have no transportation at all and have to hitchhike with my thumb to get wherever I'm going. I know what it's like to have the amenities of a five-star resort. And I also know what it's like to live underneath a bridge. Both experiences. I know what it's like to have a delicious steak at St. Elmo's down in Indianapolis. And I also know what it's like to go two or three days without any food at all. I know what it's like to have a wallet that is filled with money, overflowing. And I know what it's like to have a wallet that has nothing in it. And you're going, God, how am I going to get through this? I know what it's like to be in need. I know what it's like to have plenty. I know what it's like to be well-fed. I know what it's like to be hungry. And I have learned to be content in any and every circumstance. There's a great quote by a pastor in Michigan by the name of Jeff Mannion. And he wrote a book called Satisfied. And this is what he says. Contentment is not achieved through getting everything we want but by training the heart to experience full joy and be at peace even when we don't have what we want. Contentment is not achieved through getting everything we want, but by training our heart to experience full joy and peace when we don't have what we want. And I think all of contentment can come down to three words, and they'll come on the screen. Let's say it out loud together in one voice. One, two, three. Here and now. Here and now. Here and now. Let's say that you don't particularly like the job that you're in right now. You're dissatisfied with it. You're not really into it that much. But where are you? Where are you? You're here and now. Now you might want to be over there where your dream job is. Where you're like, I could really do something great. But where are you again? You're here now. To wake up every morning and you go, God, if I'm going to have contentment, even for a job that I don't care about, I need to go in with a great attitude. I need to be fully present. I need to give my best self to this job, regardless of whether I enjoy it or not. To wake up each morning and say, God, until that day comes, Until that other position opens up, here and now. Here and now. Maybe for some of you, it's not a job at all. Maybe for some of you, it's your house or your your apartment. You're like, Chris, you just don't realize how much of a small, dinky house or apartment we have. It's like we are living literally on top of each other. Is it possible for God to give you peace and full joy in His presence now? That's what contentment is. It's not about achieving what you want. It's about being able to go, I want it, I deserve it, I would like it, but I don't need it to be whole, to be made complete. What about the car I drive? Man, I drive a 1995 Cavalier. <clears throat> okay, where do you want to be? I want to be anywhere except a 1995 Cavalier. I don't care what it is. It's got to be an upgrade from that, right? 
but I'm here and now. It would be peace. It would be bliss to have anything except the 1995 Cavalier. Okay, we're going to show a picture. Who is this guy? Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And this is what Mr. Rogers had to say about contentment. He said, the older I get, the more I've come to believe that nothing I buy can take away my loneliness, fill my emptiness, or heal my brokenness. Thank you, Mr. Rogers, right? Like, serious, dude, all you had to worry about was putting your sweater on. I'm dealing with some real life issues. I'm not in your neighborhood right now, okay? Like, I'm in the hood. That's where I am, you know? Okay. Some of you right now are like, ah, nice little talk on contentment, whatever, Mr. Rogers quote, good deal, whatever. But this is where I am, like, here and now. This is where I am in the here and now. I'm in Muncie. And... In a few weeks, some of my friends and family members and some of my neighbors are going to a place that looks like this. And they're going on spring break to Cancun and they're going to Florida and they're just going to some beach for spring break. But you know where I'm going to be? Muncie. That's where I'm going to be. And you know, it really doesn't help me that much that it says at the bottom, welcomes you. Guess what? I'm going to be in Muncie too. All spring break. We're going to be right here in good old Muncie. And this is what we're going to have to do for those of you who are not evil people and you're going to other places. We know who you are. That we've got to remind ourselves constantly, here and now, here and now, here and now, here and now. You know, sometimes when I'm preparing for the teaching, uh, it, it's kind of hard to find different illustrations to uh, be able to make the teaching the best kind of communication piece it can be. <laughs> Some of you might not, right now are probably thinking, you could have done a lot better this week, you know, but <laughs> hey, it is what it is. But sometimes, exactly, here and now, thank you, here and now. And, uh, but sometimes God, like, weeks before I get to the teaching, it will actually, uh, I'll give, I'll get tons of real life examples. And when contentment, I knew I was going to teach on it this week, um, weeks ago, God really started teaching me about what it means uh, that I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Four weeks ago, the pipes in our house froze. Uh, get up in the morning, you know, it was one of those times where you didn't really take a shower the night before, but you worked out the night before, and, like, you were, like, stanky. You know what I mean? Like, you're, you are not smelling very good. And I get up in the morning, I'm thinking, man, i got to do this. I had to go for, like, the entire day looking like stank, you know. And you can, you can put all the stuff on there, but sometimes the stink just kind of goes right through. And... I'm there and looking at the shower and nothing's working. I'm just like, here and now, you know, like here and now. Uh, a week goes by. Jennifer's getting ready to leave on a Saturday about 530 in the afternoon to go work in a, at the ER in Elwood uh, for her shift. 
She gets ready to turn on her van, and the ignition does not work. It's broke. It doesn't work at all. So what do you do? Well, I said, well, you can take our other car. And they're like, well, you've got a job tomorrow, too. What are you going to do? So thank God for my parents. You know what I mean? Mom and Dad, call them. They let us borrow a vehicle. Four days later, the vehicle that Jen had driven to Elwood, I'm not saying anyone's fault. I'm just saying she drove it last. The transmission goes out. So now it's like we have no car except my parents' car. And, we, you know, they're old people. They need a car. So we couldn't take both of their cars. So I asked Jennifer, I'm like, what are we supposed to do? She's like, you got to go rent a car. So I go to Enterprise. You know, Enterprise is a car rental place. I go up there and I say, I need a compact car. They said, this is what the guy said. We don't have any. I said, dude, you are a car rental place. Like, that's your whole job. You are to rent cars. He goes, I know. We don't have any. I said, well, he said, if you want to stay for five or six hours, we can have one. Like, I want to sit there at Enterprise for five or six hours. And I'm like, uh, he's like, but we got a truck. And all of a sudden, I'm like, a truck? You got a truck? He's like, yeah. And they pull this thing out. It is a 2016 Ford 4x4. I mean, it was like, pimp my ride goes to bunch. And I'm sitting there like with it on, and we're driving. It only has like 2,000 miles on it. I've got it like that. I turned up the music loud just so that people would think that I was something. Bomp, 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 you know. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm driving. So I drive this car for most of the day. And then all of a sudden, here and now, here and now, you, you can't do that. You need to go get the compact. So I go back and sure enough, then they're like, oh, welcome. We have all kinds of cars. Which car do you want? And they give me this little compact car and we get in that. So now we have a compact car, and we're borrowing my parents' car. Two days later, Jen's at the ER working when a kidney stone comes at 2 a.m. in the morning. And now she has this kidney stone. She can't take any narcotics because she's given narcotics to people in the ER, you know what I mean? And so they do that. They admit her at 7 o'clock. Three days go by. She's going through this horrible pain. She gets admitted to the hospital. We have surgery on a Tuesday, and we have no car. And it's like chaos within these four weeks. Now, folks, am I the only one that experiences stuff like this? Things break. Things fall apart. Stuff conks out. Stuff happens. People you love get sick. Things don't always work out the way that you wish they would. And those nine disruptive words came to me. I've learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances. You see, folks, when it comes right down to it, it's all about attitude. You choose your attitude Every single morning you wake up and you choose it throughout the day. And if I worked on my attitude daily, 
When the car is imperfect, when people are imperfect, when places are imperfect, when school is imperfect, when the relationships around me are imperfect, it doesn't have to consume me, and I can be content whatever the circumstances. I mean, just because something nasty happens to you, it doesn't mean you have to be nasty to everybody else around you. And just because you're going through a trial right now, it doesn't mean that you have to be a trial for everyone around you. What if it's possible for God's miracle to work in your heart where I'm at my best even when the things around me are at their worst? May I experience deep joy and peace here and now, here and now, here and now. Now, some of you might be saying, but Chris, this divorce is not what I wanted. I didn't want this divorce. And now, not only has it messed up all the relationships in my life, but now I'm financially struggling. And it seems like things are collapsing around me. Peace and joy here and now, that's like really hard to do. This foreclosure on my house, it was not what I planned. I mean, we picked that particular house. We have so many memories at that house. We opened Christmas presents at that house. This wasn't just a house. This was a part of the dream of our life. It's so depressing right now, Chris, to be here and now, here and now. Here and now is hard. Quite frankly, I'm not sure I have the strength to get through the here and now that I'm at. You know something? I don't think Paul did either. As Paul's there and he's like chained between two Roman soldiers, I don't think he had the strength to persevere through the circumstances. So he went one step more to pursue something that was greater than his own. First of all, he said, to have freedom, we have to learn contentment. Secondly, we need to lean into Christ's strength. We need to lean into Christ's strength. Paul wrote some of the most famous words when he said this. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. Or another version says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Question, how many of you have ever heard that verse before, ever in your life? How many of you have ever heard that before? Okay, several of you. But did you realize that the context of this was a person who was living without? Did you realize that this is a context of seeking contentment? When things are not going well whatsoever. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And then Paul said, but I need some outside help. I can't do this on my own. I need some help from outside. And the power came when he said, I need one who can give me supernatural strength. The power of the contented life, folks, is this. 
Turning to Christ and leaning in to his strength. Christ's strength working in you. That's why Paul, even though he's in jail, he's in a pit, he's in pain. He realizes that he doesn't have enough strength on his own, so he taps into a power that is greater than himself. And he says, it's not my strength, but it's Christ's strength through me. This was God's strength. It was beyond me. I wasn't strong enough. But when I tapped into his strength, then things changed. And what Paul is talking about is the presence of Christ in your life. When you just experience that He is with me. Folks, I don't know what you're going through. But I know people are going through stuff every single week. Maybe some of you, you have a marriage right now that is really rocky. Or you have a relationship in your life that's really rocky. Maybe you have a rebellious child right now and you don't know... What's going on with that? Maybe your finances are like upside down and you're like, how are we going to make it? Maybe you're going through an addiction right now. Everyone else, you're hiding it from, but you know you're dealing with this addiction. Maybe you're depressed. Life circumstances have hit so much that you're just depressed. Maybe you feel some anxiety because you're unemployed right now or you're underemployed or you're not bringing in Enough money, you think, to make ends meet. Well, I need to tell you this. You can make it through. You can make it through. You can make it through whatever the circumstance is. Because this is the truth today and every day and every moment. God is with you. And God is with you. And God is with you. And God is with you. He's present right now. Whatever's going on in your mind, God says, I'm here with you. And to make this more personal so that you can cling to it for the rest of the week, I kind of put down what I think is Christ's strength, and it's this. He's with me. Let's all say that out loud together. He's with me. He's with you. He's with you in the cluttered garbage that is your garage. With all the stuff that's in your garage. You can't fit anything else more in your garage. And you keep looking at it and you're like, I don't need even using some of this stuff. But I don't feel powerful enough to make a change with my spending habits. He's with you. He's with you when you have to downsize, not because you want to, but because financially now you have to. You have to go to a smaller house, a smaller car, a smaller apartment. He's with you. He's with you when you have to confront a relationship with a friend or a spouse or a child or a boyfriend or a girlfriend. He's with you. He's with you when you're going through chemo and he's with you when you're going through radiation. He's with you. No matter what you're going through, folks, He's with you, He's with you, He's with you, He's with you. The only way that Paul could have been able to feel fully alive with full peace and joy for God and for other people is that he had this strength that was greater than his own in Christ. 
And it's key. It's the secret to contentment. It's the presence of God within you saying, I can do this through Christ who gives me strength. A thousand years before Jesus uh, ever came onto the scene, there was a guy by the name of David who was the greatest king in the Old Testament, but he was a great songwriter too. And if you go to your Bible and you go right into the middle of the Bible, there is a songbook called Psalms. And there's about 150, well, there is 150 of them. And people will go to them for different times, but there's one that's in Psalm 23. And it's the most famous psalm because it's a a psalm about a good shepherd. And about the Lord being that good shepherd. And this week, my best friend's dad died unexpectedly. And it was hard. And you could see the grief of everyone around. But in the midst of all of this, they read a passage of Scripture of Psalm 23, the 23rd Psalm. And in the very middle of it, there is this verse that says this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He says, I refuse to have fear. Why? Because you are, what's the next two words? You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort. David writes, I refuse to live in fear because he's with me. When I'm going through a trial, he's with me. When I'm going through discomfort, he's with me. And you know what? He's with you today. You are not alone. You don't walk this world alone. He's with you. And friends, whatever the ugly is that you're having to deal with right now in your journey, and we all have some ugly that maybe we're having to deal with. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a struggle with a parent or someone else. Well, this is what I want you to know. That as you're going through that journey, He's with you. He's with you. And when you walk out of the Y today, and you go to your vehicle, and you get inside it, you can honestly say to yourself, He's with me. I refuse to live in fear because He's with me. Folks, contentment is freedom. And you've got to learn it, you've got to seize it, and you have to lean into Christ's strength to live life. But you know, I was thinking about it this week. That some of you are discontented, not because of the fact that you think it's your finances or your family or your friends. Some of you think it's because of your house or your car or how much money you make. But the real reason that you're not content and the reason that you're going through discontent right now is because you have never made the decision to make Christ your Lord. To say, I'm going to give my one and only life to you. My track record's not very good when I try to lead my life on my own. So I need you in the midst of it. And truth be told, for some of you, You don't know if He's with you 
Because you've never made that decision. You've never made the commitment to say, Jesus, I really want you at the center of my life. I don't know everything. I can't figure everything out. But as much as I know, I know that you will do a better job of running my life than I will. And today you can do that. Today can be your day. You can take care of it. And this is the reality, folks, that you're not guaranteed tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. All you have is the here and now. And you can make a decision today that he's with me because I'm choosing him. You don't have to have your act all together before you get there. You actually say, I don't have it all together. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I need your love. I know you're a good God with a good purpose. And so, God, would you come? Help me live a contented life, a type of life where I know that my home is in heaven and I have the assurance that I can be there. And so right now, what I want to do is I want to offer you that opportunity to make a decision to simply say a prayer out loud and we're all going to say it together I'll say it and you can repeat it after me and you don't have to come up and do anything just within your chair you can make this your moment of saying God I really do I want you to be with me and so all together in one voice I'd like us to share this prayer, but if you're saying it for the first time, know that this is your prayer and that he will be with you from this day and every day. Let's pray. Just repeat after me. God, thank you for sending Jesus over 2,000 years ago to save my life. Jesus, forgive me. Make me brand new. I believe you died and rose again so I could live with you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for the new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, let's uh, go crazy and applaud and celebrate everyone that did that for the first time. And uh, welcome. Welcome to the kingdom of God. Now, if you made that decision uh, today, on the very back of your little connect card, if you pull that out, the second one there says to discover how to have a relationship with Christ. Like you made the decision today to say, I'm going to do that. I want to know how to continue to do that. Just check that off. You don't have to come up here and say some prayer. You just said a prayer. But you can make the decision today to check that off and say, today is the day that I am accepting him as Lord of my life. I want him to be Lord. And uh, we have a free gift for you. Over at the resource table before you leave, we have a Bible and a reading plan for you to do that. So uh, if you would, now everyone, if you would just fill out your card. Uh, if you'd like prayer for anything, you can put that on the back. And uh, I'm going to invite our greeters to come forward. 
and uh, we're going to receive an offering. And you can fill out your Connect card because we need that information. But if today, again, is your first time that you've, like, made that commitment, just check it off. We want to get back with you and connect with you. Um, You also have that volunteer card. Some of you were like, oh, man, I was hoping that we would not have to do that. You know? No, we need you. We need your help. Um, So if you didn't fill out that volunteer card, uh, fill it out real quick. Just put your name down. uh, Circle uh, on the back of that how you want to serve. And uh, both of those cards, the Connect card and the volunteer card, both of them will go into uh, the bag when it goes by. Now, if today is your first day here or, uh, you know, you've, you've never really thought about things of God, when that goes by, don't feel obligated to give any money. We're not about money here. We're about relationships. We want to encourage you in that. Now, if you're a part of the jar and you say, hey, this is my family, then be generous to your family because God is so generous to us. So uh, if you would, uh, go ahead and we'll say a prayer and then we'll receive our offering. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today and what you did in this place. And God, we thank you for being such a good, good father to us, for meeting all our needs. God, we want to live a contented life. And we know that part of that is to honor you with the finances that you've given to us to steward. And we do that now so that your name would be made great and we could impact our community in a great way. So help us to be generous, God, because you are so generous to us. We pray this in Jesus' name.